Welcome to the Feminist Wears podcast, the podcast about finding empowerment through fashion. I'm Anna B. And I'm Gracie G. This week on the pod, we interviewed my mother, Anna Taylor. She is a beekeeper, she works in tech, and she is a newfound political activist. Let's take a listen. Okay, Mama. Okay, the other Anna. <laughs> Welcome to the Feminist oh, that's right. podcast. <laughs> the original. I copied you, apparently. I have to um, say, I've not met very many Annas in my life. Really? Nope. I feel like I knew a lot of, like, A-N-A Annas. Right. But, um, yeah, not, not too many Annas. We're originals. Yeah, there you go. Should we start with some getting to know you questions? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to ask you some quick getting to know you questions. And then um, we'll move on from there. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay, well, I know that you're Greek and that's very important to you. So we were wondering what your favorite Greek tradition was. Um, well, I mean, that differs as an adult than it did as a child. Okay. When I was a child, probably my favorite Greek tradition was something we called the Kalogieri, which took place on New Year's. And the tradition was that the children would go to the adults and um, you'd say Hornyapola, which basically means many years, and shake their hand and they would palm you some cash. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was huge. I, I grew up in a household that we didn't have an allowance, although we were still expected to do a ton of chores. And, um, and of course, we didn't have jobs. So the only way that we ever got money was through, you know, birthday, Christmas, and then, of course, this tradition on New Year's. Right. So as a child, you know, of course, we celebrated Christmas and Easter and all of the holidays that are um, bicultural, but that was one that was uniquely Greek. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, as much as I loved it as, as a child, I didn't pass that forward. And neither did my sisters. So it's sort of very odd. It, it um, And I'm not sure why. It just... Yeah, that is kind of weird. I remember doing it, not at New Year's, but at uh, Greek Easter. Sometimes people would do that. But Well, I'm sure that didn't come with the Hronyapola. No, this was definitely no. New Year's. Yeah. I, I think I might have done it once or twice when you kids were little. But part of it could be that you grew up in a world of plenty. You know, it was like, if yeah. you wanted money, we just gave you money. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as an adult, probably the Glendies. So, yeah. the gatherings, the parties, you know, that, that take place through the church that are cultural. So, the, the summer festivals or um, the dances that usually are connected to either the Cretan um, club. My family is from the island of Crete. Or just in general, the church in general. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, even even as I say I love them, I never go. I mean, the only time I ever go is either, is my, I have a sister who's very invested in the Greek community. Both of my sisters married Greeks. And, um, in fact, one of them is in Greece right now. But, uh, and in fact, she has a mother who's from Greece. My other sister married a, a man whose parents were first-generation Americans, so it was their parents who immigrated from Greece, mm -hmm. and they're the ones who are very invested in the community and involved in the clubs. And, and so if she's in town and they're going to a dance, I'll usually accompany them, but um, I don't participate myself. Yeah. 
So now that you are rah rah shishkama about um, going to protests and stuff, I wanted to know what your favorite thing to wear to a protest is. My no fear hat. Okay, nice. Why? Um, because part of protesting is, you know, putting forth your strength and not, you know, I, it's kind of interesting because the thing that got me involved in politics, this, with this, the election of Donald Trump and this current nightmare cycle that we're in came from a sense of fear. And, and, um, you know, I, 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 I was involved in a very politically active family. My father was uh, a precinct leader in in Boulder and in, was sat on the, the planning council. My mother was very involved in environmental causes when I was growing up. She was the president of the Colorado Open Space Council. She, uh, you know, was single, pretty much single-handedly responsible for things like the Hyde Ordinance in Boulder. They don't have buildings that are there's one building that's tall and and other than that that there was a high ordinance passed so that they would the front range of the rockies would not be blocked um the colorado open space council ensured a green belt around boulder so that it wouldn't it wouldn't grow into the other you know become a big megalopolis with all of the the suburbs around denver Mm -hmm. which are similar to out here in the bay area where you pass from one town into the next and you don't even know you've done it and Boulder, that'll never happen to because my mom was one of the people who uh, worked hard to establish a green belt. And and so I grew up in this really politically active family. And yet, seriously, until the 2016 election, I wasn't even involved in the going up to the election. I always vote. I'm a tribal Democrat, always vote, a lib, you know, very much a liberal family. And, I, and so I always, you know, understood that it was my civic responsibility to vote, but I never mm-hmm. really, you know, paid attention to who was getting into the race. I would just vote for whoever ended up holding the seat. So I, I was puzzled, you know, and I, I, I often, I'm fascinated when I surprise myself. So here I am suddenly very civically engaged and I started going, why? I mean, obviously Donald Trump is just repugnant. The man is... <laughs> I, he came into my consciousness when I was about 14, when he was doing his whole 1990s tabloid thing. Yeah. Or I guess that would have been the 80s and um, the early 80s. And he just was disgusting to me. I'd see him <laughs> on TV and just bleh. and And in the race, I never thought he'd win. I couldn't believe he secured the nomination. And the night of the election, of course, I went to went to bed just feeling gut punched and mm-hmm. and realized so I started thinking about it what is it about this what is it is it just because he's that repugnant to me and I realized that it's really because he makes me afraid I, you know we've had we've had other rep- republican presidents that from a policy standpoint did things that I didn't like yeah ronald reagan most notably um but I didn't feel unsafe yeah. And Trump is so unpredictable and so incompetent and such a narcissist that and he makes decisions that are not based on the good of the country or or the faith, good faith to the Constitution that, you know, I, he makes me feel unsafe. And so my no fear hat is sort of my way of saying, you know, we the people <laughs> we're gonna fight you. We're, you know, we're not going to allow you to make us afraid. 
Right. I like that. And then, of course, I have my protest socks that Grace gave me. Yeah, I gave her protest socks. What do they say? Or what do they look like? They're, they have little birds on them holding signs that say, this is my protest sock. <laughs> That's cute. And um, on, the, on the fourth, I wore my ripped up flag t-shirt. Yeah. It looks nice. Like it, the t-shirt has a shredded flag on it. Broken America. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually something that we talked about on our podcast, and I'm sure you heard it, but we weren't sure, like, what is the appropriate way to celebrate for 4th of July? How did you feel about it this year? Well, you know, for me this year, I took my girls to New York, and we made a trip out to Ellis Island, and my mm -hmm. poor girls, I mean, I was, like, crying on the ferry over, crying. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel so strongly about, you know, immigration being a, a cultural in our country and and you know the the poem on the statue of liberty that is that you know we're supposed to welcome other cultures particularly the downtrodden mm -hmm. yeah and and so it makes me patriotic in a way that i never anticipated i would feel you know i was a kid during the nixon era when when our country just sort of immediately took a hard turn on patriotism and and developed a huge skepticism towards government and a lack yeah. of you know that we weren't proud americans and 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 it was raising children who came home and and expressed patriotism that was kind of like whoa where is that coming from and then this year experiencing myself and mm -hmm. you know i am proud of our country and i and i'm I'm proud to be American and I, I don't want to have to go to other countries and apologize. And that's been a lot of my adult life. So this year I felt sad, but I also, again, I mean, what it, what it, I'm, I'm a rebel. So what it instills in me is a sense of rebellion and that we don't have to take this sitting down and we're not going to take it sitting down. Yeah. yeah. Word. Do you have any other like plans to rebel? <laughs> Um, I, I don't have any other immediate, uh, protests planned. They aren't on my schedule, but, um, of course there's, there's, uh, a movement. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, that there's an organization called move on Yeah. that has a sort of, you know, simmering on the, uh, on the sidelines protest arranged if, uh, either Mueller or Rosenstein are fired. Yeah. So there are, you know, I've already signed up for a protest that uh, will take place. It's they have it very well orchestrated. If the, if it occurs before noon, then the protest takes place at X time. X time, X place. If it takes place after noon, then it, you know, is the following day in in a certain time and place. So that wow. one is, you know, sidelined. Yeah, that's so scary that we have to like have protests just in case something horrible happens because it's fairly likely. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I don't think what's happening at the border is over. I mean the more we learn, no. the more it's clear that, that it's not over and and that will probably take some more noise. Yeah, definitely. Thunder and noise. Yeah. All right, so shifting into some more questions. Um, obviously we're Greek. You grew up in a family of immigrants. What like, how did that sculpt you as a person? Um, well, I was very, I'm half Greek. So my, my grandparents who lived five blocks away from us were immigrants 
from Greece. My grandfather came when he was around 15. Wow. He, he actually came through Ellis Island. And um, the family lore, of course, he died when I was 16 and, and spoke only broken English. So it's not like I ever sat down and said, hey, Papu, tell me about your life. You know, it was at a time in my life when I was far too self-centered to care. And <laughs> yeah. um, communicating with him was complicated. So, but the family story is that he came um, through Ellis Island and had been put in, under the care of an elderly man that they got separated because my uncle had, I mean, my grandfather had a fever. And mm -hmm. so he was kept in an infirmary and the, the man who had been kind of watching over him was released. And the, and you know, he came speaking absolutely no English and um, was released onto, you know, the streets of New York, didn't know anybody. The only thing that he knew is that he had a brother in Louisville. And of course he came from an Island that is so small that it would fit between two American cities, you know, it's not, yeah. I mean, and so leaving Greece and saying, oh, you know, I, my brother's in Louisville, how many Louisvilles could there be? Yeah. Well, go look. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much every state has a Louisville, except sometime they call it Louisville. And so he was released onto the streets of New York, didn't know anybody, just spoke no English, had this, you know, information about his brother and he supposedly was wandering the streets and smelled Greek food mm -hmm. and found his way to, you know, to the back door of a Greek restaurant. And they sort of put out the bark patrol like you saw in the uh, 101 Dalmatians movie where <laughs> one Greek spoke to another Greek and over the Greek, they gave him a job as a dishwasher at the restaurant. And over the course of, I think it took three years, they located his brother in Boulder, I mean, in uh, Louisville, Colorado. Wow. And That's so, not what I would have guessed Louisville where it was. <laughs> yeah, it was in Colorado. So he, he ended up taking a train and, and becoming a coal miner. And he worked in a coal mine until he, he decided it was time to go back to Greece and get a wife. And so he, he at this point, he was 40. Wow. And he went back and, and had earned enough money that he felt like he could go back proudly and and take a wife so he did that and and brought my grandmother back to um this godforsaken town in in western colorado yeah where they raised a family so you know there was a lot of hardship and as a result of that a lot of pride yeah i was growing up i was always very proud of my grandparents and my greek heritage um but, you know, we, we'd have culture clashes. There were a lot, I was telling Grace this morning, there were a lot of words that I didn't even know the English equivalent for. Mm. And I would go to school and, you know, throw around the, the Greek word like it was a known thing. And people would look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so that was um, not uncommon. And uh, how else it shaped me? Um, it, my grandmother was very much a matriarch and um, very much a, a, a generous and loving woman. But when she laid down the law, she laid it down hard. And she had very strong opinions about what was appropriate behavior for girls. Yeah. And they were, you know, as much as I grew up in a family that the women were strong, they were also very chauvinistic. So the girls had to do all the work. The boys just got to sit around. 
Yeah. Um, you know, so the girls did the cooking and the cleaning and the ironing and the, and ironing was very much part of our upbringing. <laughs> um, and, uh, I always thought that was, I had an innate sense of fairness and I hated it that my brothers got to do nothing while we had to do all the work. Yeah. And there were also a lot of opinions about, you know, I mean, obviously being women and, and being girls, you know, that, that we are raised to, to expect that men are going to be predatory. Yeah. And that that the way that that plays out is that it's our responsibility to be, you know, demure and um, modest mm -hmm. and, um, you know, ladylike. And I was never like that. <laughs> so yeah. I really I, I butted heads with my mother. I butted heads with my grandmother. Um I have a twin brother who's gay. He got his ear pierced and my grandmother didn't speak to him for like two months. Oh my gosh. <sighs> she was not happy. I don't know. That's, that, that's mostly how it influenced me. Did that at all relate to how you understood and viewed your body? Yeah, my grandmother and, and my mother. I mean, my mother, I don't know why. And, and of course she died when I was 24. So, or no, I was 26. And I had moved away from home. And my mom and I always had a very rocky relationship. I was a terrible teenager, very rebellious. You know, I grew up in Boulder, which, uh, you know, had a, has a history of, I mean, in, I remember a, an article in one of the national magazines, I don't remember which it was at this point, written in the 1980s that said something about, you know, Boulder, Colorado, where the hip meet to trip. And, <laughs> you know, drugs were prevalent. And I was an experimenter and, and I was a rebel. And so I was always in trouble with my mom and I moved out as soon as I was 18. And then I left the state when I was 22 mm -hmm. and then she died when I was 26. So I never really had an opportunity to ask her a lot of questions in an adult capacity that would explain some of her behaviors. And, and um, she grew up in a very rough Western town. And, and I think that probably shaped a lot of it. But there was a lot of shame in, mm. in my family about your body. And yeah. I, I remember when I was a mother and, and went back with my small children, my mother by that point had passed away, but my grandmother was still around. And I'd let the kids run around in the summertime naked. And she would say to me, aren't you ashamed? You know, and, and I just, and, and that was really when it sort of coalesced in my head that I had grown up with this, you know, because oftentimes you get messaging and you aren't aware of it until somebody actually says something that, hits you against the grain right. and and the fact that she would expect that my children should be ashamed of their naked bodies was just like whoa 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 we are not going that is not happening with my children yeah yeah what was it like raising a family of like four women <laughs> it was delightful <laughs> <laughs> i loved having kids and and raising a family uh one of the one of the again you know sometimes you recognize things through um, contrast. Mm -hmm. And I had two brothers. And, um, and I remember at one point, one of my daughters, you know, my daughters were very competitive with one another, not in a not in a really combative way, except for perhaps with the oldest. Um, not my oldest. And yeah, I think that having boys in the household is a mellowing influence. You know, girls, there's a lot of drama. Um, and 
and and a competitiveness that I think got tempered with having brothers. Mm -hmm. And um, it's hard to find your place when, you know, it's hard to figure out how to differentiate yourself and how to how to have a unique standing in a family when all of the kids are the same gender. I think it's easier mm -hmm. when you you have a mixed family. Yeah. So, um, but the, you know, my, uh, I, uh, one of the values that I really hold dear is freedom. I think that people need to be free about, you know, who they are and, and, and I hope that I, I never, you know, really imposed my sense of who my kids were onto them, that I let them be who they are. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not sure that, that, you know, and Grace could certainly answer this better than I can, since I don't have the perspective of being, you know, uh, being one of, uh, I was the chief, not one of the Indians. <laughs> um, you know, I think my kids all were able to establish their own sense of identity in, even in a family of all girls, because that was important to me and it was important to their dad. Yeah. Just let them be who they are. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think we had that freedom. The only thing that like, I think being the youngest of all of that, the hardest thing for me was, you know, you're influenced by the things that your older siblings do, but it, it felt like a lot of the time I, the things that I was interested in, someone else was doing and they were doing it better than me. So I couldn't, I didn't have the, ch <laughs> like, if you're doing it better than me, then why would I do it? <laughs> right. And that happened to me too. And sometimes you develop in opposition. I, I know that a lot of who I am is directly in opposition of my older sister because of the constant comparison that I dealt with growing up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was a tough act to follow. I, uh, like, going back to this whole, like, political awareness thing, um, for people who are, like, just getting into it, because I know this is, like you said, the, the 2016 election is kind of what kicked this off for you. And now, I mean, I get... I get text messages and Facebook posts and all of this stuff about the things that you're doing and like your engagement. How would you suggest that other people who are kind of like on this like cusp of like, maybe I want to engage in this, but like I definitely didn't before, but now like things are starting to happen. What are some resources that got you started into understanding politics and like put you where you are now. Yeah, it's it can be really overwhelming. Well, probably the most important thing, and this is going to be dependent on, you know, obviously, like I said, I'm a liberal and, and, and I have a very strong liberal orientation. And we live in a world with so much information and so much misinformation. Yeah. So the most important thing is to, first of all, kind of get a sense of where your values lie. If you're, if you are like me and are liberal leaning, then subscribe to the New York Times or the Washington Post or both. Uh-huh. And even if, so you never even have to read the whole paper. I don't. But every day in email, I get a briefing that yeah. says, this is what you need to pay attention today to today. And it'll be four or five items. They have it separated out so that it's like homepage news, business news, which I never read, cultural news, which I never <laughs> read, sports, which I never read. But they kind of give you the top, like, bullet point items of what, you know, is happening in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's another one. There will be another, an international section. And, and so when I, be, before, when I would think, oh, I really should get in, involved, I should get engaged, I would think I had to read the paper cover to cover, you know, that that was what it meant to be knowledgeable, was to be uber knowledgeable. 
Yeah. And I don't think you need to do that. I think that you need to just have a general awareness because then the collective consciousness and conversations will fill in the gaps and tell you what you need to know and where things are happening that you might want to get involved in. Once right. you sort of have those two or three, you know, hit the hit list, the rest is easy. If you're right leaning, then probably jump uh, off a bridge. Just stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, Just I gotta kidding. Be fair. People have different beliefs, and yeah. and you know, I gotta say, it, when I was a when I was a young person, being a Republican was like the worst thing you could possibly be. <laughs> and and then I married a man who was a Republican. So, yeah. you know, what the worst thing you can possibly be is what today's Republican Party has come to represent, right. which is, you know, white supremacy, you know, uh, closed borders, you know, uh, giveaways to corporations and the wealthy. You know, I mean, it just it's an unrecognizable party to me anymore. And, and a lot of the, the Republicans, I mean, like Nicole Wallace, who's an MSNBC broadcaster that I love, worked for George W. Bush. She yeah. was the communications director. But there's a much more I mean, the, the, the right has gone so far right that the left has sort of has has moved to encompass a lot of people that that used to be considered Republicans or right. Yeah. yeah. You know. But, you know, people do have different beliefs and, and that's part of what makes the world an interesting place. So if you're right leaning, the Wall Street Journal or The Economist, the National Review, those are like right leaning, credible news sources. If you're left leaning, um, WAPO, New York Times, The New Yorker, The Atlantic. So there are lots of resources. You don't want to get your news from the Internet unless you know it's a credible source. Like, don't get it from Facebook, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know... If somebody starts a sentence with, I saw on Facebook, you know, don't listen to them. Yeah. yeah. What about um, other, like, alternative sources of media? Do you suggest any, like, podcasts or TV shows or um, blogs? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, CNN and MSNBC are both reputable, despite what Donald Trump says. <laughs> um, I prefer MSNBC because CNN gets really combative sometimes and it just, it, it, life is hard enough right now. I don't want to hear people just like going at each other. <laughs> um, uh, and some of the, some of the, um, people that they have representing the Trump administration just make me so mad. I, I, I saw on Twitter yesterday, a woman posting that her husband has Trump era Tourette's because every time he comes on the TV, she starts, he starts dropping F-bombs and that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. My kids have accused me of yelling at the television more than once. I love it. I think it's so great. <laughs> so, um, I really love Rachel Maddow. I think she's outstanding. She's on MSNBC. Um, mm -hmm. I really like Chris Hayes. He's also on MSNBC. Like I said, Nicole Wallace. Um, so those are TV shows or you know options i really like pod save america i know a lot of people think that the that the young men are who are running that show are just too too you know alpha bros for them but i like them i think john lovett is a kick in the pants yeah he's very funny so um pod save america love it or leave it um uh nicole my that's it also helps if you want to stay informed to have like one friend who's like just that's their superpower yeah and for me my friend nicole she usually is the one who tells me about protests and who i go to protests with 
So she told me about a podcast that she really likes because it's run by women. Yeah. And it's sort of, so it's sort of like the um, Pod Save America, but, but women instead of men. And, and it's called Hellbent. Mm -hmm. I like, um, I like Preet Bharara's podcast, Stay Tuned. My sister thinks it's boring, but you know, <laughs> she's not as smart as me. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> the New York Times has a podcast called The Daily. That's another really good way to stay informed, particularly if you don't like reading. It's, um, it's and, and NPR has one also called Up First, and both of those are, Up First is very short. It's 10 minutes, and they yeah. do exactly what I told you the New York Times briefing mm -hmm. does. It just is like, this is what you need to know today. Yeah. And The Daily usually... Um, the guy who does the daily takes some aspect of the day of the today's news and does uh, goes vertical with it. So he'll, he'll take an aspect of the story and go deep. And his podcasts have been really outstanding. In fact, one of my favorites of his was a, a um, reformed white supremacist. It was a guy whose father was the, um, the man who started Stormtrooper, which is a, a white nationalist website. Yeah. His mother was married to David Duke, who was, oh, wow. you guys know who David Duke is, right? Yeah. yeah. David Duke was his godfather. Yeah. So he grew up, it just like died in the wool, white supremacist family, KKK Central. And then he went to college. Yeah. And he went to college not far from where he grew up. He was in somewhere in, in the South. And he, he, one of his roommates was a devout Jew. Uh-huh. And over the and he actually had a, a a a website that he had started as a kid that was you know basically white supremacy for for young people and it was a known platform at his school but he didn't as he you know as he started talking to people and hearing that they didn't they didn't think the website was cool they used it as they like would deride it and mock it and just yeah like, and so he never wanted to admit that it was his but it gave yeah. them like the outside in. Um, perspective of listening to the voices on the other side and over the course of um, his, you know, his education and his contact with others, he reformed and he, his family was very disappointed in him. <laughs> Ugh, that's so strange. <laughs> and, yeah, so weird. and he, so he, the guy on the daily did this conversation with him. And then like six months later, after the Obama foundation was announced, the other thing they do at the, at, with the daily is at the end of the year, he then recaps stories that he covered earlier in the year. Right. And this particular person was a story that he recapped because the Obamas heard him speak on the daily. Yeah. They heard that episode of the daily. And so they invited him to participate in when, I don't know if you knew about this, but Barack and Michelle Obama, as they were de determining what their foundation was going to do, they, they had symposiums and they brought in people from all sides of all issues to talk about what, you know, what their foundation mandate should be. Uh -huh. He was one of the people that was contacted wow. and he was blown away that he was invited. And he, and so he was, he walked into one of these um, lecture halls and was sitting down in the chair at the back and was just kind of like feeling like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't, you know, I, I sort of like, I hope no one recognizes me type of a thing. And Barack Obama walked in and tapped him on the shoulder and said, is it okay if I sit next to you here in this open chair? And he said it was just a surreal experience knowing, you know, this background that he grew up in. And here's this 
incredibly noble man sitting right next to him. Mm -hmm. He's the first black president. So the daily, it's a good one. All right. We'll have to check it out. Yeah, that sounds amazing. All right. Thank you so much, Mama, for hanging out with us and talking with us. You're welcome. Um, that was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> thank not you. A, not a whole lot about clothes, but that's not really my forte. <laughs> that's that's right. okay. We're all for, I do uh... wear a bee suit. Yeah, you do wear a bee suit. <laughs> what is that like? Is it hot? Yes, it's hot. It's very hot. And, and the bees in my yard are not very nice. And so when I was working them the other day, I actually had to wear two bee suits because they, <laughs> oh they were sticking me through my suit. And, and I had opened up the colony and the bees were going nuts and I had to close <laughs> it back up. So I had to put two bee suits on and, you know, that was very hot. <laughs> yeah. Hot and dangerous. <laughs> yeah. A little, it's a song. little bitches. How do you like tame bees or are they just like that? They just either, to yeah, they're, you, you just need to make sure that like, I'm going to have to requeen that colony because the queen is just, she's just aggro. So <laughs> um, that's the only way to temper the genetics is you get rid of the queen and then all of the daughters, you know, that were her progeny will die. And then, and if you get a, a queen that's, you know, has a better temperament then the colony calms down. So that's kind of allegorical for yeah, what's happening in say, politics now. You're just now. overthrowing governmental systems yes, everywhere you go. Pay okay. attention, America. It's the only way. That's right. It's the only <laughs> way. Vote. Get your friends to vote. Your guys' generation is the future, and you are the answer. And the problem right now is that the people who are voting are the freaking 60- and 70-year-old conservatives right. that aren't going to be around for the future that they're creating. Yeah. So you True. need to... If there's one thing you need to do, it's to make sure that everyone you ask, that everyone you socialize with, ask to vote and make it happen. Yeah. And then get them to vote on, on in November. It's not that hard. You can even do it by mail in California. Yeah, that's what I do. Yep. And Grace, I, I changed your registration so that you'll be able to vote in November. Woo! Thank you, Mom! <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mama, and I will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thoughts about my mom. Well, I'm always a big fan of your mom. Um, <laughs> but it, it was also really interesting for me because um, I have a similar upbringing because my grandparents were immigrants also. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what she was saying about, like, um, especially when she was talking about how her grandma was like, why are you letting your kids run around naked? Like, my grandpa always did that to my mom, too, because I'd be four and just, like, out of the bath and be like, I'm naked! And, like, running around, my grandpa would be like, you cannot let her do that. She's too old to do that. And my mom's like, she's four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting, like, seeing the similarities of, like, how bodies are viewed. And I'm not sure if that's, like, immigrant thing of like we we need to like fit in we need to be proper and we need to like do everything we can to be welcomed here or if it's that scottish and greek cultures are similar or what um but that was really interesting to me to hear about yeah or like even if it's like a generational thing just yeah. like that you know people were more modest back then yeah yeah that's probably a lot of it too but um yeah i i found it really interesting to hear her talk about it. and I liked how she was talking about how like freedom was really important mm -hmm. for you guys growing up I don't oh, know yeah. if that's like something you noticed or 
Well, yeah, it's kind of interesting to hear kind of the thinking behind a lot of what she did because I wasn't a part of those conversations. I wasn't born yet or I, I wasn't yeah, behind that closed door. Experiencing it. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was my reality. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely look around at a lot of the way that other people were raised and go like, oh, I wonder like, why, like, why aren't they like me? Because I was allowed to do this, that and the other. But I never really knew that it was like intentional that my mom was like, yeah, these are going to be the things that are okay for my kids and these are not. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how like much more credit our parents are due than yeah. we think of like, <laughs> Especially when I got to college and I started seeing how other people were raised and, like, learning more about human development and things like that. And I was like, oh, my mom did, like, a good job with those things. Like, I remember just being like, it's kind of alarming that I have no eating issues. Like, that's great. She did a good job. Like, and it's something that I, like, never thought of consciously of, like, oh, she's probably consciously being like yeah you can have dessert if you want it and never Mm -hmm. shaming that type of thing never shaming me if I was still hungry or anything Mm -hmm. like that um but yeah it's it's kind of crazy the things that we don't ever have to think about until we're older and dealing with stuff on our own yeah definitely I mean I, I love my mom she's so cool I like every time that I like have a chance to like actually hear what she thinks about things. I'm always like, thank God I was born into this family and not another one, not the one like the guy she was talking about, you know? Yeah, yeah. That was the other thing when she was like, oh yeah, his parents were really disappointed. I was like, what? Yeah. I can't imagine coming home and being like, hey mom, I decided that I love everyone and having your parents be like, what no. the fuck is wrong with yeah. you? Hate everyone. Like, yeah. ugh. Indoctrination is crazy. Yeah, Definitely. All right, so now we're on to our favorite segment, What's Wearing on You? So, Grace, what's wearing on you this week? Men. <laughs> always. What's wearing on you and it's always men. Um, yeah, it's always men. But basically, this week, I had two people, two males, uh, like, kind of reach out to me in a way that, like, made me really uncomfortable. Um, so... Both of them I had gone on one, two dates with, maybe. Max. Yeah, maximum two times I've seen these people in person. One of them, like, was the guy that I talked about in an earlier episode that, like, actually was, like, lightweight stalking me. Yeah, he's a problem. Yeah, definitely. And he had reached out and basically was like, I want an explanation for why you stopped talking to me. And then the other one was like, what happened? Like, you totally changed since this period of time. Like, all of this stuff. Like, like what the hell, basically? I think you need to say the actual wording of what he okay. said because it, like, is alarming to me. Like, I think when you said it to me, I repeated it back to you, like, six times. Because I was like, what the fuck? Who the fuck does he think that he is that he gets to say this about you? Yeah. No, he said, dude, are you dead or something? Your attitude has done a complete 180 ever since final started. What is going on? Your attitude has changed, Grace. I just like, so many things about this are irritating to me. One, you don't know me long enough to know what my attitude is about anything. No, he literally only knew what your mood was that one day. He doesn't know fuck about your attitude. Yeah. And then, like, also this being a theme now, that, like, men who you have spent one, two times with need an explanation for, like, why you kind of 
peter out the conversation like i don't normally straight up ghost someone that is not like although that is problematic within its own thing but like I don't normally do that. Like, I tend to be like, I'm going to hint towards not wanting to talk to you anymore. Like, I'm busy every time you ask to hang out with me. Like, because, look, I don't want to be the person who's like, this isn't working out. Please leave me alone. And then have them, like, try to kill me like that other dude. Well, and also, it kind of feels like you shouldn't have to. Like, you spent a couple days with them. And so you shouldn't have to be like, hey, I'm breaking up with you. Like, you weren't together. It wasn't ever an established thing. And I also, like, my thoughts on ghosting are like, okay, if it's, like, an established relationship then like that's shitty for you to just leave but if it's been like one two dates and you're like don't want to talk to this person you don't owe them anything I don't see the problem in just being like all right see ya like I, I understand that it can feel shitty if you're really into it and someone just stops talking to you and I get like wanting to be like oh I want to know what happens but like use logic for a second and be like, I don't know this person, and maybe I thought it was going really well, but I actually know nothing about them. So it could have been going horribly. That could have not been what they're like at all. Like, there's a lot of things that could have happened, and, like, you are not owed someone's attention and time when you don't know them. Yeah, definitely. And even if you do know them, you're not owed anyone's time and attention. No matter what, you are not owed it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, like, kind of branching off of that on the terms of owing things is all of these men feel like they need, they're owed an explanation as to why I stopped. And and the irritating thing about that is most of them, it's two people, both of them, <laughs> the reason that I stopped is because I was like, you are not socially aware of certain things. And... Honestly, I think a lot of what you do is sexist and there are microaggressions there that I like don't want to have to participate in. It is not my job to explain to you why you're being sexist, like why you are pushing a power dynamic that makes me uncomfortable. Like I am so tired of being put in this position where I have to baby men into being un- understanding of certain issues. It's not my job. No. I I wasn't told you know, I had to seek out this kind of shit on my own. And I did because it matters to me. And I and I recognized the power dynamic. Men don't do that. And it's really irritating. I'm not going to fix you so that somebody else can reap the rewards of that. Right. And like, if you want to be that person who's like, I just need to educate everyone, like, bless your heart. But yeah. that's not on everyone else. Like, you don't have to spend time on someone just because they're infuriating and you need to fix them. Like, that's not on you. You don't owe them anything. You don't owe everyone else anything by saving them. Like, and if they don't respect women in general, the chances that you're actually going to get through to them are, like, very slim. Well, and that was part of it. was, like, am I really going to go through the mental exhaustion and work to explain, like, hey... When you won't leave me alone, it freaks me out because we live in a society with rape culture and, like, that's a real threat that I have to deal with. Like, I, you know, like, I don't want to have to deal with him then making excuses for himself or whatever. Like, I am not invested in this person at all. I've spent one night with them. Why does it matter? Why do I have to talk them through, hey, kind of stinks when you like someone and they don't like you back. Sorry. The other thing that really bothered me with that one guy that I made you read his exact words is that his idea is that, oh, she stopped talking to me. She must must be a bitch now. Yeah. 
Like, her attitude sucks now that she doesn't want to spend time with me. Yeah. There's something wrong with her for not wanting to talk to me. Well, and it also, to me, hinted to, like, you have a preconceived notion of who I am as a person. So, like, even if that were to go further, I would have spent the entirety of that relationship or tete-a-tete or whatever trying to fill whatever image he had of me or being constantly ridiculed for the fact that I'm not the person that he has created in his brain. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not about, like, this is who she fundamentally is as a person, it was, like, she used to be so fun and, like, give me time and attention, and now she's just a dick and doesn't talk to me. Like, what's wrong with her attitude? And then, like, to have the audacity to think that, like, being an asshole about it is going to get you, like, an actual response? Yeah, like, oh, lighten up. You should talk to me. Calm down and talk to me. (laughs) Why are you being such a bitch? Tell me, please. I really need to know. (laughs) Please, just give me all your love, you fucking asshole. Exactly. I was like, okay, my attitude changed. Good. I am dead, and I'm never going to talk to you again. Yeah. I really wanted you to just be like, yep, dead now. R.I.P. me. Bye. Yeah, but then there's the other thing, which is like, okay, I could have had some sort of sassy retort that would have made me feel better, but like, what Pandora's box are you opening when you do that? Yeah, I mean, in that situation, I think like not engaging is the best way, especially if you're worried about like, with if they would engage back yeah. or how they would engage if you're fearful at all. I think like not engaging is the way to go. Because then they can fill in whatever blank they want and that's on them. Like they can be like, I was right. She is a bitch. She didn't even text me back. And that's that. Or they can be like, you know, it's really hard for her to talk to me. And she just, it's too much for her right now. Like they can do whatever the fuck they want and that's fine. And that's on them. But I think a lot of times if I am always guilty of being sassy back. Yeah. um, And like that never, I mean... Basically, it it just ends in anger. Right. Um, And men are just very angry sometimes. Yeah. So that can get scary quick. It goes from like, I'm just going to be snide and respond and that'll be it to like, ah, shit. Like, I should block them. Now this is an altercation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So that's what's wearing on me this week. Men feeling like they're owed something from any woman. Really obnoxious. Men, stop it. (laughs) Okay, Anna, what's wearing on you this week? All right, so mine, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about mine, so we're going to talk it through together. (laughs) A few things. First of all, Trump just, um, nominated, or selected his nominee for the Supreme Court, and they want to uphold Roe v. Wade, so that is good news. I don't know, what do you, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's good that they want to uphold it but I want I I need more information here yeah that's um most of what I know about them at this point yeah so he states it as binding under the principle of stare decisis and would seek to uphold it but he also is in favor of restrictions against abortion so I think a lot of what we can predict to happen is more just outrageous laws enacted um, like that they have to be up to hospital standards when they, there's no need for them to be able to put two gurneys down a hallway or, um, yeah. So that I guess is somewhat good news in that I don't think we'll be seeing Roe v. Wade overturned anytime soon, but, um, and, I mean, it's, it's scary to know that we are having someone else who is also looking to restrict abortion. Yeah. 
So that is a breaking news, what's wearing on us. But my more thorough, I guess, what's wearing on us is that um, there was a resolution brought to the United Nations Affiliated World Health Assembly. And what they wanted to do was to encourage breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a lot of misinformation about formula um, that's put forward by, like, the formula industry. That it's just as healthy um, and that it's fine. I mean, this is where I'm kind of confused is that I was told that it was... My, I mean, not just as healthy in that breast milk is always preferred, but that it was okay. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea behind it and what it was meant for is if you genuinely can't produce breast milk and you have no other means of getting it, then that's your best option. Mm-hmm. But I think that the breast milk or the breast, no breasts, the formula industry, <laughs> the breast, industry. <laughs> the breastless industry, um, was trying to put forward that it's just as good. And so there were putting together a notion. They were trying to they were trying to put out a resolution to tell people to really encourage them to continue to breastfeeding instead of buying formula. So everyone's like on board. They were like expecting everyone to go for it. And then the US decides to back the formula company and says, no, we're not doing that. And if you put forward this resolution, we're going to punish you. And Ecuador is the country that's really backing it. And they, um, the United States is threatening Ecuador with, um, like, harsh trade restrictions Mm -hmm. so that they will not promote breastfeeding and won't say that it is the preferred method because they want people to still buy formula capitalism everyone it's well so i'm kind of conflicted by it because i mean i think my son was was raised on formula because his mom wasn't pregnant didn't produce breast milk then and i didn't because that's like a big bonding Mm -hmm. thing and i wasn't that's not something that was going to be healthy for me. Mm-hmm. So um, so they used formula. And, like, he's fine, you know? And I think that, like, I don't want to, like, demonize using formula because for a lot of people that is their best option. And it's really great in, like, third world countries where they're in a huge shortage of breast milk because they're malnourished that bringing formula over there has been a huge savior to a lot of babies and I do understand wanting people to be like don't just do it out of convenience Mm -hmm. I find it somewhat hard to believe that there are enough women that there are enough women out there who are doing it by just simply convenience because it's so expensive Mm -hmm. like I don't only the very very wealthy can be able to be like I just don't feel like breastfeeding or pumping or I don't want to breastfeed or pump so I'm just going to buy it instead. Like, that's a huge cost to bring on. Yeah. So I just don't know, like, A, how necessary is it for us to be putting this forward? But B, I think it's ridiculous that the U.S. is doing it simply because they want to back the formula companies. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised about the U.S. choosing, you know, 
dollars over everything. So that's like not, it's annoying. And I don't like that that's their reasoning. But I kind of agree with you. I'm not sure that I really see the sense in like, why is, why is this something that we're even talking about? You know, like I also think that there is potential damage for people who are non-binary and raising children and like pressuring people into feeling like you have to give your children something that you literally cannot give them. Right. That's, yeah. And that's kind of my feelings for my son too, was his mom was talking about like she feels, she was being made to feel guilty sometimes Mm -hmm. because she can't produce that. Um, And people buy breast milk online from people for very expensive. And if you overproduce, a lot of like friends will give other friends breast milk who underproduce and Mm -hmm. things like that. Like there is a market for breast milk. And I think that people do tend to use that as their first instinct, especially in this culture now. I mean, I know that there was a period of time a couple decades ago where they were saying just use formula when it first came out. But I don't think that's the case now, at least not in this country. There's so much pressure on moms already to not fuck up that I don't know why we're adding another thing in there when it's, I think it's something that's fairly well known, at least in this country. And maybe I am just being privileged and from America and I don't know what it is like as much um, in other countries. But I don't know. It was it was having me very conflicted. Yeah, I definitely um, am feeling like I want different opinions on this. So if you guys have anything to input, please email us at feministwares at gmail.com. Yeah, especially if you're a mom, we really want to hear what your experience was like. We want to know why you decided to breastfeed, why you decided to use formula, if you had a choice, what it was like. And I have a very limited knowledge of it because I have a secondary connection to it and I have experienced what it's like to produce breast milk and it's super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I get it if you want to make that stop. Um, but just, yeah, we want to hear all your experiences with it and your thoughts on it. And if we should be promoting it more, maybe I'm just in a super privileged area where I just know a lot about breast milk (laughs) for some reason. Um, let us know. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Feminist Wears podcast. If you have any questions you want to tell us about breast milk, <laughs> uh, email us at feministwears at gmail.com. You can tell us what's wearing on you. You can tell us um, what your favorite piece of clothing is. You can tell us who your favorite feminist icon is. You can just pop in and say, hey, what's up? You guys sound cool. Don't do that. We've got a lot of boys doing that. We don't want that anymore. <laughs> Um, and yeah, we just want to hear from you. Yeah. Also, um, you heard a lot about different reputable news sources, uh, for different movements. If you have any, let us know. It would be cool to create some sort of a list about that. Yeah. We can post, um, the ones that Grace's mom talked about on this podcast in our Facebook group. So get in the group. We'll post those links. Let us know your favorite ones on the group as well. We'll make it collaborative. So yeah, make sure to check us out on Facebook at Feminist.Wares, on Instagram at Feminist.Wares, and on Twitter at FeministWares without the dot. Sans dot. Twitter hates dots. 
All right, and make sure you um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We just ended up on Spotify, so that's pretty cool. You can listen to us on your Spotify, on your stolen family account. (laughs) Um, And yeah, leave us a review. It really helps people to figure out that we're awesome and they want to listen to us. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Don't forget to stay angry. And smash the patriarchy. Bye. Bye.